0: This is an exciting season, church, to be in a season where we're preparing for a harvest. And in our text today, we see the Apostle Paul preparing the church for such a season as this. Preparing the church to live life together. And uh, the title of the sermon today is Thankful. We are in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking specifically at verse 20. But let's start reading from verse 18 so we can see our text in its proper context here. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Here's our passage today, verse 20. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment where we can gather in your name, where we can connect with your word. These ancient words that were recorded two centuries ago God, they're alive and they're active and we want to engage with them by the power of your spirit. We want to submit to them by the power of your spirit and we want to be changed by them. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable that work in each of us now as we look at the word of the living God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been reading the book of Ephesians every day for the last couple weeks, uh, just preparing my heart for today. And if it's been a while since you've read the entire book, I encourage you, even this evening before you go to bed, read it. It was written not as a book, but as a letter to be read all at once. And I just want to encourage you as we're getting back into the book of Ephesians, specifically where we are in chapter five, um, it will connect our hearts with what the Lord is doing. Because the first chapters in the book of Ephesians tell us about the great things that God has done for us in Jesus, right? That the love of God compelled Jesus to come to earth and exchange his perfect life for our personal train wrecks that we've gotten ourselves into, right? We're so loved by God. We are well-loved kids. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that we have been adopted by God in Christ. We are God's kingdom kids. And then the next section of Ephesians, which is what we are in now, Paul explains how God brings each of us together into his family. We are the kingdom family of God. We have the love of God in us, and we get to experience that love personally as God pours out his love upon us by his grace. And we get to experience that love flow out of us as he fills us to overflowing. And we get to see his love affect the world around us. Now Paul, in this part of Ephesians 5, is describing what this new spirit-filled life together looks like. And kind of the context for it is because uh, the truth and the reality of all that Jesus has done for us, because we are God's kingdom kids living life in his kingdom family, we now live drastically different than we once lived. And specifically in the last couple of weeks that Brian's been teaching, uh, Paul has been explaining that we love God and we love one another. We pursue wisdom. We encourage one another in the Lord. And we worship together. We have lives that are marked by worship. And today we see that this life that we live together is filled with gratitude. Specifically, he says, our hearts are filled with gratitude. And this gratitude overflows ...to God for all that he has done. That's connecting with what we've been looking at in worship. Our hearts overflowing with gratitude to God is worship. And so this new life that we live now... ...is marked by continual thankfulness. Thankfulness. Continually having our hearts overflow with gratitude. Gratitude is our response to all that we have learned... ...up to this point in Ephesians. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. Again, in our text, Ephesians 5.20, he says to give thanks... For everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now he says nearly the identical thing in his letter uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says in 1 Thessalonians to be thankful in all circumstances. See this thankfulness, this is a continuous thing in us. Regardless of life's circumstances, regardless of life's seasons. The word that Paul uses here in the Greek is eucharisteo. Uh, That's the word for thankfulness. It means, it's a verb. It means to acknowledge your thankfulness. It's an ongoing action of thankfulness. We are thankful and we acknowledge our thankfulness at all time to the Lord. Now, it's not difficult for us to be thankful in the good seasons of life, is it? We don't have to like muster up a lot of energy to be thankful to God when things are good. But in the difficult seasons or when we're in a painful season, Thankfulness can seem far away. Paul's encouragement in our text today is to be thankful in all seasons, the good and the bad. And so today we're going to examine how we find gratitude when life is crazy, when life is complicated, when life is painful. Now, for centuries, Philosophers have attempted to rationalize the, pain, the painful seasons, to rationalize the hard seasons, and, and help us contextualize them. One area of philosophy called Stoicism teaches that hardship is actually the means by which we are made better. There was a second-century philosopher named Marcus Aurelius, and if you studied history, you'll recognize him, maybe not as a philosopher, you'll recognize him as he was actually the emperor of Rome about a hundred years after the apostle Paul had written his letter to the Roman church. Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic, a Stoic philosopher, and he was influenced, uh, perhaps he was influenced, we don't know, actually. Perhaps he was influenced by the, the growing uh, Christian movement in Rome 100 years after Paul had written his later. Uh, we don't know that or not. But however, whatever the circumstances, he had learned to be thankful even in hard seasons. In fact, he, uh, he saw hardship as a way of personal growth. And now Marcus Aurelius experienced tremendous hardship as emperor. Rome was invaded and almost conquered and thankfully, Marcus uh, pushed his, he and his army pushed the invaders out all the way out to Mesopotamia and destroyed them in Mesopotamia. And then on their long, long march back, uh, his soldiers started to get sick and then they started dying. By the time they got to Rome, his troops, his, his army was decimated. Marcus Aurelius had unknowingly brought back the Antonine Plague into the Roman Empire This plague became a global pandemic. It lasted for seven years. It killed more than 5 million people. That is a third of the population of the Roman Empire at that time. So Marcus Aurelius was no stranger to hardship. He would write in his journal each evening. And one evening, as he was reflecting on the day, he wrote these words. He said, the impediment to action advances action. The impediment to action advances action. That's pretty good. Several hundred years later, Nietzsche, would, pondering this idea, came up with this phrase, which probably is more familiar to you. Nietzsche says that that which does not kill us makes us stronger. My philosophy professor, who is this endless hipster, right? He had this on his coffee mug that he had on his desk. He would say, the obstacle is the way, right? But sounding stoic. Well, the Apostle Paul, before all of these guys says to be thankful in all circumstances. Paul would agree that life's obstacles are not to be avoided but faced head on for it is through hardship that we grow the most. But here's where Stoicism, here's where, where secular philosophy starts to break down. How am I supposed to be thankful in hard times? I mean, how am I supposed to pull that off? Is this a, a pull yourselves up by the bootstraps thing that Paul is getting into Just try a little harder? Uh, No, of course not. This is why I'm encouraging you to refresh yourself on the book of Ephesians. Read it from the beginning all the way through. The book of Ephesians, in this text, we see that true gratitude is not tied to events or circumstances or possessions. It's not tied to our ability to muster a positive attitude. True gratitude is tied to Jesus. Because this gratitude does not change, it cannot be tied to the ever-changing events or the ever-changing circumstances, the ever-changing possessions that go along with our ever-changing life. Unchanging gratitude must be based on something that is unchanging. And the character of God is the only thing in life that we can know that never changes. This is what all the Stoics and all other secular philosophers have been missing throughout all of history. Good philosophy without a good God will only bring self-righteous frustration and disappointment. See, a life of gratitude is a response to an unchanging, sovereign, good, loving God. And in our passage today, Paul is getting us to look beyond life circumstances. Paul is encouraging us to look at Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at four aspects of this gratitude that Paul is talking about. The first aspect of this gratitude is that gratitude is a response to God's sovereignty, now, what is God's sovereignty, and why is it important? That is a good question, and I'm glad Paul answers it. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, if you're taking notes, write that down. Colossians 1, verse 16, this is what Paul says about God's sovereignty. He says, for through him, he's talking about Jesus here, for through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Jesus made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. Jesus made thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus existed before anything else, and Jesus holds creation all together. See, he's saying Jesus made it all, he's over it all, he's in it all, and he's holding the whole thing together. Christian, this is good news for us. God is over and in and around all things, the good and the bad. This means that God can work in the midst of anything. He's able to work in hardship to grow our faith and develop our character and produce the fruits of the Spirit. See, I never could figure out, in all my years of of reading philosophy and and, and just trying to do life on my own, I could never figure out what motivated Marcus Aurelius to find gratitude for the hardship in his life. When When he didn't know that God's, of God's sovereignty, or at least he never wrote of God's sovereignty. I just can't psych myself up enough to pull that off. When things are difficult or hard, I I can't rally myself enough to say, you know what, this is going to be okay because I'm going to be better for it. No, God's presence is the only reason for gratitude in hard times. If God wasn't in control, I would have no reason to find gratitude in hardship. But because God is sovereign, he's able to use both pleasant situations and difficult circumstances in my life. See, and Paul's being realistic here in assuming that we're going to face hardship. We will face hardship. That's a part of life. But notice he's not asking us to fake some kind of, you know, morbid thankfulness for the hard things in life. Like, oh, God, thank you that I'm suffering so much. No, he's saying to be thankful to God even in hard circumstances. Because when things are hard, I can still be grateful for God's sovereignty. And that makes me thankful even though I'm in a hard season. True gratitude in the midst of hardship is not possible without faith in someone outside of ourself who is powerful and present. God is sovereign. Someone cares. We need faith in someone who can give us hope. Someone who is above the storm. We need someone who can give us meaning, someone who can see out beyond, right? Paul tells us that Jesus holds everything together. He's above it all. We need someone who can help us discover purpose in the midst of life when it seems impossible. Having true gratitude in every season of life, it requires faith in a God who walks through life with us and gives us hope and strength and the promise of a future. And so, True gratitude means we must first know that God is sovereign. I must believe that God is over every circumstance. I must believe that he is able to lead me through every situation. That God is in control of all things. And nothing happens except the things that God allows to happen. So gratitude is a response to God's sovereignty. The second aspect of gratitude that we're going to look at today is that gratitude is a response to God's goodness. God is not just sovereign, God is also good. We must know that God is both sovereign and good. That means that God is both willing and able, right? Because God is sovereign and because God is good, God has a plan and a purpose for us even when life is hard. This gives us hope and allows us to trust that God is leading and growing us in the midst of hardship. Now, I'll stop here and confess to you that sometimes life's circumstances can seem to indicate to me perhaps that God does not love me. When I take my eyes off of the sovereignty and the goodness of God, and I start to just look only at the circumstances in life, from that perspective, sometimes life seems so tragic and so tiresome that God seems far from me. But I can also testify that when I cry out to God, when I start to remember his attributes, when I start to rehearse the things about God that I know to be true, when I open my aching and tired heart to the love of God, God meets me and gives me hope. And in that moment, I remember God's goodness. I remember the love of God. I remember that he's both able and he's willing to meet me in my hardship. And in those moments of sincere despair, God will meet us, church. He will comfort us. Even in the darkness, we can know that God is over it all, that God is in it all, and that God is good. Now, God's not good simply because he gives me the good things that I want in life. No. Our desires don't determine God's goodness. Life circumstances don't determine whether God is good or not. You can't point to bad things that are happening in life and say that God isn't good See, God is good because God is always with us and God never changes. God's character never fails. He promises to never leave us and never forsake us. So how do we know that, right? That's all great. And some of you might be wishing, I I, I wish I knew that. But how can we know that God is good like that? Well, we know God is good because of Jesus. This is point number three. Gratitude is a response to the work of Jesus, And we see this in the second part of our verse today. Um, This is how our expression of thanks is made. Paul says, give thanks for everything to God the Father. And here it is in the second part of our verse. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus. So we give thanks to God and we offer thanks in the name of Jesus. This is significant. Our thanks is to be offered to God in the same way that we're instructed to ask for things from God. If you'll remember, Jesus teaches us how to ask things from God the Father in John chapter 16. He says, Truly I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, Jesus says, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. And so he encourages us. He says, ask and you will receive so that your joy will be made full. So we're encouraged to make requests to the Father in the name of Jesus ...along the character of Jesus, in the heart of Jesus... ...but also we're instructed to give thanks to the Father in Jesus' name. Church, Jesus is always the center. He is our focus. He is our plumb line. He is the cornerstone. Why is this? Well, it's because Jesus is our reality. That's where we got the name of this church. Our reality literally is Jesus. There's nothing that is more real in life than Jesus... Jesus is the reason that our relationship with the Father is a reality. Jesus is the mediator for us so that we can know and have relationship with the Father. He's the sacrifice that makes us right with the Father. Jesus is the power that breaks the death sentence of sin and hopelessness for us. Jesus is the way for us. Jesus is the truth for us. Jesus is the life for us. Jesus is the name that brings salvation and healing and deliverance in life. Now, Paul trips out when he talks about Jesus. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 2. Just listen to Paul as he's telling the church, as he's telling us about Jesus. He says, this is Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. That the Father elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave Jesus the name that is above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we ask the Father in Jesus' name. And we praise and give thanks to the Father in Jesus' name. Our Heavenly Father works in us through Jesus. Because of Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins removing the debt that we once carried. Jesus has given us a new identity. We're no longer sinners based on our performance. Our identity is now sons and daughters based on the perfect performance of Jesus. He's given us a new life. He's given us a power to live in that new life. Jesus has made us grateful, thankful as a people. See, the work of Jesus causes us to respond to the Father in thankfulness. Our response to Jesus is gratitude. We can be thankful for Jesus regardless of the season that we are in. Gratitude requires us to look at the work of Jesus. And the fourth point today is that gratitude requires faith. A life of gratitude is lived in relationship with God that we know God that we're intimately acquainted with him through Jesus. We know God's character. We know that God is sovereign. We know that he is good. We know that God never changes. And so if I know that God is sovereign and that he is good and he has met me by faith in Jesus, then I have the faith necessary to trust God and cultivate in me a heart of gratitude regardless of life's season. God has proven himself to us, church. A life of gratitude is lived by faith and the unchanging character of God. But man, it sure is easy to fall into negativity when I start to just look at the bad things in life. I start to just look at the negative things that are happening in the news and the world around us. Or my, my pattern of thinking when I turn the critical switch on is so I take my eyes off of Jesus and I start blaming the bad things in the world on this group of people or on that group of people. And it spirals to the point, and it affects my faith. I think about roses. We, we all know how beautiful roses are. We all know how wonderful they smell. Well, Abraham Lincoln was talking about this um, at one point in his life, and, and he made this observation. He's like, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns, or we can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. See, on our own, we don't always focus on the roses that God is blooming in our life. We don't focus on the fruit that God is blooming all around us. We don't don't live our lives necessarily all the time in light of the harvest that God is bringing. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and put them on negative things, we must walk by faith because we only see a little part, and it's a small part of an enormous kingdom that God is building. Our faith in God's character enables us to trust God. And our faith in God's character enables us to remain thankful to God for his presence and allows us to walk in the good things that we don't necessarily see all the time. In the Old Testament, Job had this faith in God's character. Just remarkable. He had suffered the loss of everything in his life. He'd lost his family. He'd lost everything that he owned. He would lost his excellent reputation that he had. And in the midst of that, the lowest imaginable season in life, he says this in Job chapter 1, verse 21. He says, I came from my mother's womb, and I I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. What an incredible picture of his faith in God's character carrying him through the low season of life. Now church, God is using everything in your life to work out his good plan in you. God loves you. He cares about the details of your life. God is working in the midst of the details of your life right now. He's working to shower you with love and approval. God is, is working in you to produce in you thankfulness and gratitude. He's working this out in you through every season of life. God is good even when life circumstances are not. This means that the hard seasons that we might normally just grumble about and complain about, they can now stir hope in us. Because we trust that even in difficult situations, even in undesirable seasons... These sometimes are the very things that God is going to use to bring about his perfect will in our life. And this should stir up gratitude within us. The Lord is present, and he's good, and he's working. And as we trust the Lord through every season of life, we remain thankful. And this gratitude is more than just a sigh of relief when the storms of a heavy season finally subside. No, true gratitude is a response To the constant presence of a good God who is working his good plan in us. The response of gratitude for the presence and the plans of God that we get to see and experience as we keep our eyes on Jesus. Church, that is a life of worship. We worship God with hearts that are not just full of gratitude, but that overflow with gratitude. God is sovereign and good. He knows what you are going through right now. He knows what you're doing and he's willing to meet you right where you are. Turn to the Lord today. Consider the sovereignty of God. Consider the goodness of God. He is right there pursuing you. Cry out to him. He wants to remove the burdens that are weighing you down. He wants to fill your heart with peace. And this morning, if you need someone to pray with you, if you're finding yourself in a low spot or you're finding yourself just so spun around with the wild, crazy season that we're in as a culture, click the Connect with God link. It should be in the description of the YouTube video. It's also on our website. Man, we would love to pray for you. You could leave a prayer request or you could actually request that someone connect with you and we could pray with you. You could request that someone follow up and tell you more about God. But Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Church, let's set our eyes upon Jesus as we respond to him today. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, Lord. We ask you to give us the grace and the strength and the joy of seeing Jesus in everything. Father, give us wisdom to make the most of these days that we live in. Help us to experience your presence today. Fill us, God, with your Holy Spirit. Convict us with your Spirit today. We want to sing in our hearts so that it overflows with our voices and it overflows with our life. Father, help us realign our hearts and our minds to see and experience the love and the nearness of Jesus today. Help us to be thankful in all things, to live with heart of gratitude. Amen. Maybe today you're finding yourself feeling a little outside, looking in. Maybe you don't really know God's character the way that we've been looking at it today. Maybe you know a lot about God, but you don't know Jesus. As a church, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for you for a long time. We've been praying into this season that God would awaken the hearts of people who are near, who the Holy Spirit is convicting, but have not yet responded by faith. You were made to live life with God, created to know the peace of God, the joy of living with God, to walk in purpose. And as the Bible teaches, we've been separated from God by choosing our own path, by sinning against God. But the good news is we can be made right through faith in Jesus because Jesus laid down his perfect life. And today he's offering to exchange his perfect life for your sinless, your sinful life. And didn't, Jesus didn't just lay his life down. He didn't just die. He took our sin with him into the grave. And then he rose from the dead and he left our sin in the grave And you have the opportunity not only to know God, but to be changed by the love of God. You are no longer a sinner if you are found in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ. You can be made a child, a son or a daughter of God today. Today you can receive the greatest gift that anyone could ever offer you. Today you can be set free from guilt and shame, the heaviness and the confusion of life. Today you can be restored with God. Jesus wants to walk with you. Jesus promises to never leave you, to never forsake, to you, forsake you. Today is the day of salvation for those of us who turn to Jesus and put our faith in Him. Let the sovereign and good God bear your burdens and fill your heart with love and peace. If the Lord is prompting you in this way, just simply just pray along with me, say, "Father God, I know I know that I need to be saved. I know that I've sinned against you. I believe that Jesus is God and I put my faith in him to save me through the work that he did on the cross. God, give me new life. Just as Jesus rose from the grave without the debt of sin on him, God, help me to walk in, an, in new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's fix our eyes and our hearts on Jesus as we respond to the character and love of God. Let's allow the love and the presence of God to fill our hearts to overflow in worship as we sing to God.